Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Well, we are making our way along Romans. I remember many years ago, Bart Mercurio made the comment. He says, I left for three weeks and I come back and you're only in the next verse. He said, this is awesome. I didn't miss anything, you know. Yeah, it's like, you know, but, I, but I'm not going to pull a Don Ingram on you and keep reviewing. If you remember Don Ingram, he would he'd come on Sunday night and he'd have a 30-minute sermon of which the first 15 to 20 minutes was a review of last week's material, um, which, which meant it took him a long time to get through anything. But um, we're in Romans chapter 1 here. Verse 16 is where we're at today. And one of the, <clears throat> one of the things I'm reminded of as we, um, you know, as we think about this passage and the prayer request is how icky life is, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you think that you're a Christian and that you're going to skate through this thing, right? That's what you're told on TV, right? Come to Jesus, everything will be all right. You'll get your Cadillac, you'll get your big house, you'll don't have any disease, you'll be fine. And yet, I'm reminded how icky life is. I mean, even Christians. You know, I knew David. He was one of my Awana kids back at LaGrange. And, um, you know, people suffer with stuff. Years. Years. I remember Jerry. Um, was the, I think he was the head of the bookstore, wasn't he, for a while? No, no. No, that was Jerry Rose. Jerry Rose, I mean. Yeah, Jerry was. Yeah, Jerry was head of the bookstore. Yeah, I didn't know you switched from David to... Yeah, Jerry. Jerry was head of the bookstore for many years, and I remember him. Um, and, you know, sometimes you think that just because you're a Christian, you're going to skate through this thing. You're not. The evil one's still out there. He's out there. And, um, you know, even in my own family, you know, there are those that are depressed, and it's just... It is so hard to talk to them because it's just like no matter what you say... They twist it back around to, yeah, but. Yeah, but. You know. Well, they, they, what's hard for us living our lives is then people compare us and they'll say, well, but so-and-so goes to church, he opened the door, I, and I work with him and vice versa. So that's why it's so important that how we live out our lives during the week. Yeah, you know, you're going to, like we said, I, I can't remember when we said a couple weeks back, how you live your life is a reflection not only on Christ, but on this church, on everything. You know, you're going to make God look good or bad, you know, basically. And um, I like to make him look as good as he can. But, you know, one of the things that, that, that I think is that, that um, Paul was, if you read, if you read First Timothy, or Second Timothy, which is sort of an interesting book, it was the last book Paul wrote, he's almost, you can almost hear him saying, you know, I'm ready to go home. I've, I've, you know, it's, it's almost like he's, I'm tired <laughs> of fighting. It's, I'm ready to go home. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to go home. And whereas most Christians, if they were in Paul's shoes, would be thinking, boy, you know, um, it's depressing here. Um, 
what's happened to God? Why has God abandoned me? Why has God left me? And they'd be looking at themselves. Paul was saying, hey, I get to go home pretty soon. I remember when Donna found out that she had, you know, she only had a few weeks to live. Her first response with a big smile on her face is, I get to go see Jesus. And um, we have that eternal hope. And why is that? We have the good news, right? What is the good news? I can be, he died, buried, rose again, and faith in him, believing what he says, I can have a relationship back with God. There's a way back. God's always provided a way back. Even from the very beginning, God has provided a way back. And the way back is by believing what God says, right? I mean, that's what faith is, isn't it? We think of faith, you know, sometimes we, I, you know, we grew up in a, I grew up in a church, and so sometimes we get so much trappings around these words that we use, like faith and belief, that we miss the simplistic component of it, which is just believe what God said. What makes God happy? Believe. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. You can't. All it is is just believe. Believe what God said. It's nothing more than that. You look at the first family, Adam and Eve. How did they believe God? Well, when Eve had Abel, what did he say? I got, I've received a man from the Lord, and her idea is, maybe this is the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. When Adam's boys grew up, what did he tell them? Here's how you approach God. You bring a blood sacrifice, right? I mean, his kids didn't figure that out on their own. They didn't experiment to see what God liked. They knew what God liked. God told them. God told Adam, and Adam told his sons, and it's believing God. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, probably one of the key verses of the entire New Testament, really, one of the key verses, of course, in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, Paul is using gospel here to refer to the good news. That's what gospel is, good news. And in his context, in this book, the good news is good news about Christ, right? Now, he's going to explain that later on. I mean, 1 Corinthians, we have the death, burial, resurrection. But he's saying, I'm not ashamed of this good news. Because, see, he lived in a world where it's easy to become ashamed of that. <clears throat> Go on the view and give them the gospel. What is going to happen? Number one, he probably wouldn't get on the view, but, but if he did, what would happen? They'd laugh you off. They would mock you. They would laugh at you. They'd think you're an idiot. You're, well, that's, that's the point. Then. You, don't, you don't put yourself in that spot. But <clears throat> when, when you do proclaim the gospel to people, a lot of them mock. I mean... You look at our the world today. I mean, you stand up and say Jesus is the only way, and you're bigoted, narrow-minded, pinheaded, and a bunch of other words they might throw your way. But God's provided a way back. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. It's an exclusive message. That's what ticks the world off at us. They don't care if we believe what we believe. They just don't want us to think we're the only way. That's the problem. We don't, they don't want you to, they, they, like, they don't like this exclusivity concept, right? 
Believe you, go to Oberlin College. You can believe anything you want. Just don't believe you're right and they're wrong. But you can believe anything else. Doesn't matter. Because to them, the exclusivity is what's the problem. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. That's the definite article, right? So if he's the way, what does it exclude? All the other ones. He did not say, I'm one of the ways back to God. You can pick me, you can pick this, you can pick that. Joel Osteen gets on TV and says, well, you know, Jesus is the way. But yeah, you know, the Buddhists, the Hindus, they'll get there too. And they'll, they'll be all right. Really. He says that? Yeah, he does. He's on Larry King Live, and he basically downplayed the exclusivity of the gospel. We have that out there because people are ashamed. Paul talked about the, the gospels being derision to the Gentiles, right? To the Greeks. He goes to Mars Hill and he preaches the gospel. And what happened to a lot of them? They mocked. They mocked him. Um, Christ said it's the preaching of the cross of those who are perishing what? Foolishness. It's moronic. You're telling me that the death of a Jew on a cross 2,000 years ago is going to determine my eternal destiny? You're nuts. You're crazy. That's stupid. The Jews stumble over it. The Greeks think it's stupidity. But what does Paul say? It is the power of God to salvation. It is the only power of God to salvation. Jesus is the way back to God. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the door. Exclusive. And we live in a world where when you stand up and you... Look, we all face that pressure. You all face it. When you stand up and say, Jesus is the way back to God, there's a little piece of you that says, ugh. But that is the way. Way, not way. Right. But, you know, it's the exclusivity of the gospel that bothers people. We want many ways back to God. We want many paths back to God. And the pressure is out there to make multiple paths back to God. All roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to God. Christ talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. He said there's a broad way and a narrow way. Now, the idea of a broad way is big, easy. Narrow way is what? Hard. It's tough. It's hard to find. I like taking hikes, and sometimes the best hikes are when you get off the beaten path. And you're hiking up top of the mountain in this little path, and all of a sudden you get to this beautiful view. But it's not the way everybody takes Christ is saying there's a broad way that leads to death. And here's the thing. He says, and there are people at the front of the broad way saying this is the way to God. Understand that's the way it operates, see. The broad, I call it the broad way prophets, the broad gate prophets does not say, we are going to hell, would you follow us? We're on our way to damnation. We're on our way to destruction. What do they say? We're back, we'll go back to God. The Mormons, we're, back, we're going back to God. The Jehovah Witnesses, pick a cult, pick any of them. 
this is the way. We, and everybody's on it. It's, it's, it's easy to get on. It doesn't cost you anything. What does it cost you to be a Christian? Everything. You give up all that you are for all that he is. I'll follow you, but let me go bury my father first. Uh, no, you don't need to do that. Let me go back home and say bye to mom and dad. No. If you're going to follow me, what do you do? You abandon all and follow me. Right. And then I go back to think, well, okay, if I want to prepare a meal for someone and it's real easy and they love it, then everybody's happy. But if I really want to please somebody and make them a great meal and it takes me a week to prepare it, am I focused on their happiness or wanting to please them more so than what I have to go through to get the answer. Yeah. But, and uh, to be able to receive what the Lord has for us every day is not always easy. No. Christ said the way is hard. It's not easy. It costs you something. You give up everything you have for everything he is. And, you know, again, I love the, the story of Elijah in the Old Testament, who I think there's a certain pleasure that God has when we make it hard for him, in a sense, that we're in a predicament, and the only way out is God has to obviously move, or it doesn't happen. God likes those challenges. You know, here's Elijah up there. Now, if I'm Elijah, I'm getting the driest wood I can find, and I'm going to make sure one of them has a, is a match, right? What's he do? He piles it on, dunks it with water, dows it, soaks it down, fills up the trench, and God's saying, finally, somebody's given me a little bit of a challenge here. <laughs> what happens? The fire falls, and boom. And, and everybody there, there was no doubt in anybody's mind who did that. It wasn't Elijah. See, we try to help God out by making it easy for him, by greasing the skids. God does not need you to make it easy for him. Because every time we do that, what happens? It just messes things up. Because when you think about it, there are probably, I think I'm bold enough to say definitely, no real easy versus hard versus medium. God being omnipotent is above that. Right. He simply does what he wills to do, and there is no such thing as easier than harder. God can speak the universe into existence. He can, he can drain down fire without any trouble at all. That's easy to, to do. But what does God want us to understand? He, he answered that. <laughs> that wasn't Elijah pulling it off. He answered that. I think a lot of times what makes the, the way hard is because you have to give up your pride. You do. That's the point. You have to give up. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, you know, I was circumcised the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. And then I saw Christ. 
And I counted all of that but scubalon. That's human excrement. That's a nice way of saying that. Dung, and that's, you can fill in whatever words you want in there, but that he said, I looked at what I was banking on, and I looked at Christ, and I said, this is trash. The, no. And God wants it that way, because here's the thing, God does not need heaven full of a bunch of people that, were, that spent all of eternity talking about how they got there. Right? He doesn't need that. So we get to heaven and I say, well, what are you doing here? Grace of God. What are you doing here? Grace of God. What are you doing here? I had no idea, but it's God's grace. See, he gets all the credit. That's not because I did something. We all got there for, for the same reason. Same reason. Christ died and paid for our sins. Someone said the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. God doesn't care what your gender is, your nationality, your ethnicity, your intelligence. Your wealth, none of that matters. All that matters is, do you believe? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It is the power of God. Paul's saying, I am preaching the message, the only message that brings people back to God. There's no other message that does this. There's an exclusivity to it. To everyone who what? Believes. Believes. That was missed. How do, you, how, how do you get salvation? You believe what God tells you. Now, when we talk about believe, is that just in your head? It's in your heart, but then what happens? You act on it. That's the other component, see. It's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to act upon it. You can believe in a lot of things. You can believe that you can get in a plane with me and I can fly you over to some airport. You can believe that all day long. And I say, okay, let's go. I ain't getting in a plane with you. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. I thought you believed it. I thought you believed it. Well, yeah, you're not going to... Unless you do something. And that, that's really the message of Romans 11, or of Hebrews 11, right? By faith, what did Moses do? He denied the pleasures of Egypt. By faith, what did Abel do? He brought a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, what did Rahab do? She hid the spies. Belief is always accompanied, true saving belief, faith is always accompanied by an action. Always. That's really what James is saying. James and Paul are not arguing about what faith is. James is just saying, if you believe it, you're going to do something about it, right? How do I know that Abraham believed God? How do I know that? He glowed? He got a halo? What did he do? He took off when God said, take off, and I don't know where I'm going, but God knows, so here I go. He did, and then later on that was confirmed by him doing what? Sacrificing himself. Taking Isaac. How do you know Isaac was a person of faith? I bet he did. I mean, here he's a 13-year-old kid. Dad's 100 and some odd years old. Do you think he can outrun Dad? Yeah, I think he can outrun Dad. But what did he allow Dad to do? Put him on the altar. Now, I'll tell you what. 
I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to ask Isaac what was that like when he going to get to heaven. See, we gloss over these things. But here's the thing. Paul is saying to everyone who believes, and, then, and he said this, not to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. See, Paul's coming out of a situation here where the Jews thought they were the people of God. Everybody else was fuel for hell. That's what the rabbis taught. Gentiles are fuel for hell. We are God's people. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we act. We're in. We're God's people. That's what Christ was constantly fighting with these Pharisees over. John chapter 8. See, we're, we're Abraham's seed. We don't know about you, but we're Abraham's seed. We're in. And Christ said, I can make, God can take stones and make them children of Abraham. That doesn't mean anything. See, they thought they were in because they're God's people. He said, not only to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Everybody, and to them, Jews and Greeks were the two divisions of humanity. There was Jew, then everybody else. So there's not two ways of salvation. There's not a Jewish way to salvation and a Gentile way. What is the way? The way is the gospel, the good news. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I don't want to come and preach that to you. I'm not ashamed of it. For in it, in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This is a very important concept. What kind of righteousness do you need to get into heaven? Perfect righteousness. Now, the Bible does talk about two kinds of righteousness. There's a righteousness which is of God, by faith, and there's your own righteousness. What does the Bible say about your own righteousness? What is it like? Yeah, those are, those are bloody menstrual cloths. That's the Hebrew concept. The grossest of the gross. Your righteousness are like filthy, bloody, icky rags compared to God's righteousness. And that's what Paul says. I want to be found in him <clears throat> not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, which isn't going to cut it, but the righteousness of God. That's the kind of righteousness you need. You can't, you can't approach God with your own righteousness. Because see, here's the thing. There's a, deep, there's a deep desire on our part to think that we contributed to our salvation. We really want to think that we did something. Did you? No. See, Charles Spurgeon said, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the mess you're in. That's your contribution. God does everything else. God gives you the righteousness. Paul's saying, in it, the righteousness of God is manifested. How do you get the righteousness of God? You believe. From faith for faith is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That is a very important little statement there. Anybody know where it comes from? It's from the Old Testament. It is from a prophet. You got the H right. 
Habakkuk. Anybody know who Habakkuk is? He's one, of, he's one of those books in the Bible that nobody reads. It's where your pages are stuck together. He's a prophet. But he had a problem. His problem was he looked around his society and said, Lord, I see rampant materialism. The poor are oppressed. There's no righteous judgment. When are you going to do something about this? When are you going to fix this? And God basically says in the Schaefer translation of the Bible, of the book, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Yeah, I'll believe you, God. Tell me. Uh, I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. They're going to judge and carry you off into captivity. And of course, Habakkuk says, I don't believe that. <laughs> They're worse than we are. We're bad. They're badder. And he had this crisis of, what are you doing, God? But at the end of Habakkuk 3, he finally says, you know, even though the entire universe unravels, I'm going to believe what God said. That's faith, right? Believing God in spite of what's going on around you. But his, his crisis was, when are you going to do something? And right in the middle of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, it says here, Behold, he's talking about the evil people. His soul's puffed up, is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Now that's an interesting thing, because what is God saying can exist? The righteous shall live by his faith. What is God implying can exist? <coughs> Righteous people, right? You got the unrighteous, you got righteous people. God is saying there is righteous people. How do they live? By faith. By believing what God said, by acting upon it. The righteous shall live by his faith. And this verse is actually quoted three times in the New Testament. Did you know that? It's actually quoted three times. It's mentioned three times. Galatians 3.11 talks about this. Well, we're here in Romans, of course. Then in Galatians 3.11, Paul quotes this verse. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not do all things written in the book of the law to do them. See, people think, well, I can just keep the law and I'll be okay. No, you can't. Because what does it say you have to keep? All of them. And then, and counting. That's how they did. But, I mean, you've got to keep the whole law. You can't, you can't miss one piece of it. So if you want to think about it, every time you sin, you're, you're, that's a debt you incur with God, and there's no way for you to pay that off. Oh, well, I'll just do a good deed to cover the bad deed. No, the good deed is what you're supposed to be doing, right? If you run up a large bill at a department store and you say, well, I feel bad, I'm going to go in and pay cash now for all the things I buy, 
but and as I buy things with cash, they should knock some money off of what I owe them. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? What should you be doing? Paying for the stuff. He says, Cursed everyone who did not do everything in the book of the law. Cursed be everyone who does not do all of it. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. You can't be justified by the law. You can't be justified by what you do. What does the law do? What does the law tell you? Were you fouled up? Any lawyers in here? I'm going to... How, how many laws do you have that tell you, that give you commendations for doing good stuff? None. It tells you where you fouled up. It tells you where you went astray. The law is not good for making you righteous. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The law is not by faith. This is the thing that Paul's going to really make you can drive this at home again and again and again in Romans. You've got law, you've got faith. You can't mix the two. There are some people that say I'm saved by faith, but then I've got to keep the law to keep it. Really? Where does it say that? If you try to keep the law, if you try to keep your salvation by doing works of the law, it isn't going to work, right? Now, by the way, that doesn't mean you don't do what God tells you, right? That's not, we're not talking about that. Right. You're going to want to do what God wants you to do. He's saying the righteous shall live by faith, by believing what God said. And then it's quoted again in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, quotes this. But by righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Live by faith. My righteous one will live by faith. By just believing what God said, by doing what he said. That's what honors God. And if you shrink back from faith, my soul will have no pleasure in him. You believe God. And by the way, this belief in God, you think, well, I, I, I need a certain, certain level of stuff to believe in. Really, how, what did Rahab have that she knew about God? What did she know about God? Not a lot. She heard some stuff. She didn't know. Who, she, didn't know. she just said, I, I just want to be on his side. So much so that she hid the spies to probably her own peril. You believe God. <clears throat> what, what pleased Christ when people believed him? The turning comes up, heal my son, I believe you. That act of, the, that makes God happy. If you want to make God happy, I'll tell you how to make God happy. Just believe what he says. I will never leave you to forsake you. Okay, God, I believe that. Doesn't look good out there, but I believe you're with me. Believe and trust. Trust and obey. There's no other way. You know? 
I love that old hymn. <clears throat> Haven't sung that in many years. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And what Paul's trying to get at here in Romans is that this is the key to being right with God. And this verse here, Romans 1.17, is the verse that finally leaked through a legalistic monk by the name of Martin Luther and it finally opened his eyes to what it meant. This is the verse that sparked the Reformation with Luther. Read the story of Luther. It's sort of interesting. This guy, I mean, he, he had a confessor, Peter Staupis, I think it was his name, and Peter got mad at him one time and said, would you please go away and come back when you actually have something to repent of? I mean, he got tired of the guy coming all the time, confessing his sins. He said, go away, come back when you actually do something that needs to be confessed. I mean, come on. Martin Luther lived under this cloud of performance and I got to be right with God and I got to do this 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 and he struggled with that for many years and finally when he's reading Romans he read this verse and finally he said like a door opened and he understood it's not what you do it's what you believe now your, your works follow but it's not what you do. Believing what God has said. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. How do you become righteous with God? How do you get the righteousness of God? You get it by believing what God said. And then God imputes his righteousness to you. We're going to read about that later on. Imputation is a wonderful word. It's, a, it's an accounting term, which means to credit to an account. So here I am, I've got, I've got an infinite debt that's so bad that I'll never pay it. And Christ comes along, and if I believe in him, he takes his infinite righteousness and credits to my account. And not only does he clear my account, but he adds to me the righteousness of God. That's what blows my mind. See, God does not bring you back level, right? He gives you more. It's not that your sins are forgiven, but now you are made righteous like Christ is. So when God looks at you, he sees not only your sins are paid, but you have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. It's not that you're just brought up to ground zero. <clears throat> and I was listening to a message this week, and I think one of the great things, I've, I've thought about this recently, what makes heaven attractive to you? You ever think about that? Being with God. That's awesome, right? I can also say he cleanses us from our wicked way. He cleanses us from our sin. He probably reveals them that we don't even know we are doing. Yeah. To me, what makes heaven heaven is I won't sin. And I can't sin. Now that's a good thing, isn't it? When I get to heaven, I won't be able to sin. I will not want to sin. It will not be within my nature to sin. Because if I could, what would happen to heaven? It'd clear out pretty quick, wouldn't it? 
I don't want to get to heaven and God say, yeah, welcome here. By the way, there's a tree over there you're not allowed to touch. I don't need that. I won't be able to mess it up. What makes heaven attractive to me is I won't be able to mess it up. But the tree that we originally, because of screwing up, were told not to touch will be there for us to touch with a new fruit every month. Yeah. Being eternal. And that's what, that's what makes heaven so attractive to me is I can't mess it up. No, I can't. It's not within my nature to do so. We won't want to. We won't want to, but we can't. See. The other thing about it is maybe it's a more human reaction is to, to, to see and be with loved ones and friends and so on who've gone on before you. There's a lot of things about heaven, but what makes heaven so attractive to me, and I love this song, My Savior, first of all. You ever hear that one? When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide and the bright and glory of this morning I shall see, I'll know my Redeemer when I reach the other side. His smile will be the first to welcome me. And, um, you know, it's going to be nice to see Donna in heaven. She won't be saying, huh, huh, what, huh, what? Yeah, she'll be here perfect. When did he pass, by the way? Who? Uh, Don, I'm talking about my wife, Donna. Oh, Donna passed three years ago. Don, Don Ingram a couple years back. But it's just like, oh yeah, yeah. I like to see my loved ones, but you know who I want to see first? Jesus. Yeah. And I often thought, you know, one of the horrors of hell is not going to, I mean, we, we, we camp in on the physical torment. And it, it is a place of physical torment, yeah. But what the horror of hell is to me is I'll never, those who are there are never going to be able to make it right with God. They're never going to be able to say I'm sorry. They're never going to be able to make it right. I thought about that and it's like, that to me that's just, never be able to tell God I'm sorry for my sin to, to make it right. Yeah, 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 it's not going to be a party down there. You're not going to be partying. I wonder, you say you're going to ask, ask Christ or have about this, and other people have said that too. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask why this happened. And I wonder, well, we not really have to ask, but if it crosses our mind, we know the answer. It might be that, or, you know, I like... You know, I mean, there'd be a long line. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the thing, you know, I get to heaven and, you know... Yeah. I don't think we're going to know everything. You know, it's going to be a, a time when we eternally get to know God. But I do think this. When we get to heaven, God said, hey, you know, you had some questions you wanted to ask me. So, ah, forget about it. I think you're all going to be confused. Yeah, going to matter forget about it. I don't, care. I don't need to know the answer to that. <laughs> I don't need to know the answer. Well, it's... There you go. Yeah. It, it, it won't be... I mean, the one question I would ask God is, why did you choose me? And he said, oh, I just felt like it. I wanted to. Because choosing you glorifies God. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
It glorifies him. I mean, that's it. I mean, we're trophies. We're, we're in a trophy case. I mean, I, there's just so many things, you know, we down here, oh, I like to ask God this, you know, why this, why that, why this, why that. Joe had that problem, right? If God would just show up, I could ask him some questions. So God actually does show up to Job. And Job said, I'll, God said, I'll answer your questions, but let me, let me ask you a few of my own first. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where were you when I created this, created that? Where were you? Can you explain this to me? Can you explain that to me? And finally, at the end, what does Job say? I withdraw my questions. Never did get his answer. Won't bother us a bit. You know. I initially agreed with what Denny was saying about uh, we'll just somehow automatically know this, that, or the other thing that right now we're curious about. But then it struck me, even though I initially was almost a little dangerous with Denny, um, that couldn't be true because that would cause us to become omniscient and we'll never be omniscient. No. You're going to spend all of eternity getting to know God. So now we're going to have a brain that doesn't forget. We're not going to get Alzheimer's disease and forget names and things like that. We'll have a perfect mind. But um, we're not going to know all the answers. And does it, do we need to know all the answers? At the end of the day, do you need to know all of the answers? Probably not. No. You don't. We think we do because we want to know stuff. And, that's what Dan or somebody said too. When we get to heaven, that won't the things we were going to ask won't be important anymore. No. Yeah. You know, it's like we may not even think about those things. We're so excited by being in heaven and then God's glory and then those things aren't yeah. really aren't important anymore to yeah. us. I mean, one of the things that you know, a person that helped, you know, with Donna's illness and her, her eventual death was, you know, it's easy to say, well, why did God choose her? You know, why did God afflict her with that? Why that? Why her? You know. That's not a relevant question. God saved her. She's in glory. She's where we want to be, right? How many of us would like to walk out that door and just walk into heaven? We all want to be there. Don't ask that question. I don't know the answer to that, but God had a reason and purpose for it. We're going to, he's okay with that. There's a certain amount of time or purpose for all of us, and Donna was a testimony to so many people. Yeah. Now her life was shortened, but that was... God's plan. Yeah. I need you to do this for this long. Yeah. And you're going to go through this suffering and so on. And how you handle it is going to be a testimony to other people. And that's what it was. And, and so my prayer is that whatever I got ahead of me, I would do the best for me. You know, why did God leave me here? He left me here for a purpose. I told a couple of people, I said, I'm not here to suck air and take up space. <laughs> God left me here. God, you're all here for a reason. You know, and it's not just to take up space, suck air, and whatever, you know. Some people, you know, like when I retired, oh, you're going to be able to play golf and wild. No, I'm not going to play golf and wild. And I'll go out and play golf now and then, but I didn't, God did not let me retire so I can sit around and get fat and do nothing and watch TV. And No, I got things he wants me to do. I'm going to figure out what those are and do them. I'm not going to sit around. Someday I might have to sit around, but right now I'm not going to sit around. 
examples in the Bible that God showed his glory to people and they couldn't take it. No. So all the things that we think about here, uh, about looking forward to heaven, just like the simple phrase, it's all about Jesus, that we'll be his glory and we'll be with him. So that should end all the desires on a, on a simple side. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we forget about God's glory and his holiness. Sometimes people might look at us and say, oh, here's our holy religious person. Well, in a sense, that's a compliment. Yeah. All holy means is to be set apart. But at the same time, I would, if I heard those words, I would walk away like, oh Lord, please, I, I need you more now. Yeah. Oh, like you said, Alan, when you read cider, I'm not going to sit around and eat bonbons or whatever. In the same way in heaven, we're not just going to sit around, you know, I'm here. Yeah. God's going to have something for us to do, and whatever it is, it's going to be great, and we're not going to be tired and wore out. and You know, I, I, I like what Paul said, I has not seen or ear heard, neither even a heart of man got things God's prepared for those that love him. You couldn't handle it. You couldn't explain it. It's beyond our ability to explain. And what God has done in the gospel message that Paul is talking about here, he's given us a way back. When man sinned in the garden, it wasn't like game over. No, God provided a way back. And here's the important thing, and we'll leave with this idea here. God's provided a way back, but you have to come on his terms. You don't come on your own terms. We have people out there that want to make their own terms with God. It doesn't work that way. God has said, here's how you come back. And if you come back this way, God is like the prodigal's father who's there, who runs to you and with his arms wide open to welcome you back. But if you don't come the way of the cross... It's not going to be that way for you. You come the way of the cross. And Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the only power that can transform a life. The good news. Jesus died, buried, rose again, paying the price for my sin. And he's coming back someday. And that's the message of the gospel. So next week... We're going to pick up with verses 18 through 32. Probably spend three or four weeks on that. Because um, what Paul is going to do now, he said, okay, here's the good news. The good news is there's a way back. The good news is for Jew and Gentile. The good news is it's by faith. But before, I can, before you can believe that, you need to understand you're in a jam. See, before you can say, get somebody to, to accept salvation, they've got to realize they're what? Lost. If you're not lost, you know, that's, that's the, men, the men in the room, you understand that. We're never lost, right? Even our wives say, where are you at? We're not lost. Okay? You got to get lost before you can get saved. Like that commercial, I'm not lost, I'm just exploring, but do you know where I'm at? Yeah. 
you got to get them lost before you, you can bring the gospel to them. And Paul's going to start out in chapter three, uh, 1, verse 18 through 320 to lay out an indictment against humanity that just leaves all of us before God with no excuse and our mouths shut. You won't have any excuse. So that's what we're going to start next week. Father, thank you for this day. and um, I think we just scratched the surface here on salvation. It's the way back to you. You didn't owe us that. You didn't. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve any good thing from your hand, but for some reason you've been gracious to us and you've saved us because we have believed what you've said. And that's all faith is. Help us to just be people that believe you, believe what you say, and put our faith in that. And not just our faith in our brains, but actually do something about it. And again, thank you for this time of study. And bring us back safely next week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.